If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to be looking today at remembering his sacrifice. Communion is a very special time. I get to do it four times on these communion Sundays, and they never get old. Everyone is special. Hebrews is a book that is like a running commentary on the Old Testament. It helps us to understand the many feasts, festivals, sacrifices, and rituals, and why they have all culminated in the person of Christ. When you get to Hebrews chapter 9, the writer is telling us about the blood of Christ and why it is we don't need a sacrifice anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. And here's the way he puts it in Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 16. In the case of a will... It is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the person who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray together. Father, these words are more significant than we can imagine. A sacrifice so powerful, it saved us from our sin. It brought us from death to life and gives us the hope of an eternal heaven with you. And God, as we open up these words today, as we come to this table today, help us to remember And we'll thank you, God, in your precious name. Amen. You probably didn't notice, but when you came in today, none of you brought a lamb. None of you brought an ox or a bull or a goat or a bird. In fact, if you had brought those things, our ushers would have rightly greeted you, told you you were very, very welcome, but your barnyard animals probably need to stay outside. You see, we would think it really strange for people to come to a worship service 
hauling in bulls and goats and oxen and other barnyard animals. But yet for centuries, people could not have imagined to come worship to worship God without bringing those things. Today we came to worship, yet we gave no thought to animal sacrifices, no altar, no priests, no blood being spilled. Yet God requires all of these things for any of us to approach him. Sinful man cannot approach a holy God unless there has been a sacrifice and unless there is blood that's spilled to pay for that sin. Even Moses had to have blood. That's why it says in verse 19, when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. How would you have reacted today if our ushers greeted you at the door, sprinkling you with calves' blood as you came in? That was a part of worship once. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So, where is our blood today? The blood we need has already been poured out. It's been poured out at the altar in heaven in God's presence, and God has accepted it. And that blood has been sprinkled over the life of every single person who has come to embrace this sacrifice. And that sacrifice is none other than Jesus himself. And that's what we're remembering every time we come to communion. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus as our sacrifice. The writer said in Hebrews 9, verse 26, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus gave his sinless life in payment for my sinful one and your sinful one. And it's here in communion that we remember that. This is a memorial. We're careful to say at each communion that eating this will not make you a Christian. This will not get your sins forgiven. It will not earn you grace or get you into heaven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done to separate us from God is by faith coming to embrace the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for our sins, that he was buried in a tomb, that he was raised the third day, that he conquered sin, death, and the grave, and he's alive, and he's offering hope and forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe and receive him. Being religious, being good, going to church, going to Sunday school, taking communion, getting baptized, they're all good things, but none can save you. We need a sacrifice. We need blood. And in Jesus, we have it. Eating this meal reminds us that no one comes to God without the blood of a sacrifice. Communion reminds us that Jesus is that sacrifice. So what did he do? Why did he offer himself as that sacrifice? He did it as payment for our sin.
This is why the writer put it like this in verse 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he would appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. A picture, a copy, is not the real thing. Over the years, my family and I have traveled to meetings of our denominational movement called Converge Worldwide Baptist General Conference. Each year when we met, we uh, met with missionaries and pastors from all over the globe as we talked together about the work we share, our mutual goals, church planting, new missionary assignments, fields that need to be opened up, spending time worshiping and praying together as those goals were established. And over the years, driving with my family to and from those meetings, I have gone and visited, we have visited probably more than 40 of our 50 states. And along the way, we have taken pictures of some of the most beautiful scenes and settings and storms and sand dunes and mountain ranges and rivers that God has ever put on planet Earth. And every time we got home to look at the pictures, it was like, nah, it's just not the same. It doesn't look as good. I don't care how good your cell phone camera is or what kind of a 35 millimeter with power lens you've got, no matter what picture you take, the picture is not as good as the reality. And people, that's what we need to remember about what the writer of Hebrews was describing when it comes to worship. There is a worship in heaven that on earth we only have a copy or a picture of in many ways. Our worship here is real, but it pales in comparison to the worship we're going to experience then. You see, there is a real temple, a real throne, a real altar, a real high priest, and a real sacrifice in heaven of which the ritual on earth was only a picture, only a shadow. That's what the whole Jewish sacrificial system instituted by God through Moses was all about. The whole system was simply a picture on earth of the reality that would one day happen in heaven. So God told Moses, build a temple or tabernacle, build an altar, establish the priesthood, arrange the sacrifices and all the accessories according to the pattern that I give you. Do you remember when God met with Moses about all of this? Exodus 25, verse 9. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God told Moses, there's a real temple, a real priest, a real altar here in heaven, which will be the place of an ultimate sacrifice. 
But for now, the temple you serve in, the altar you approach, the sacrifices you bring, and the blood you sprinkle will be a picture of that. It will sanctify temporarily the people. It'll point the way to the moment when the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, will come to pour out his blood in heaven and pay for sin for all time and bring you eternal redemption. That's why in Hebrews 9 it said in verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order or the new covenant. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He didn't enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So, according to the pattern, every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest for that year, perfectly washed, ceremonially cleansed, and dressed according to the pattern God gave Moses, would then go and take an animal over which he would confess his own sins. The animal would be slaughtered, and the blood would be spilled out. He'd take a bowl of that blood along with a branch of the hyssop plant. And he would go to the temple through the holy place before the curtain and behind into the holy of holies or the most holy place. Inside there would be the Ark of the Covenant. Inside there would be the cherubim with their outstretched wings and on top of the covenant, the mercy seat. But the most powerful and pressing reality of the holy of holies was the presence of God. God's Shekinah glory, his presence was in that room. And so this priest went in with very little confidence because he knew that if it wasn't done exactly according to the pattern, if he wasn't just right in the ceremonial washing, if the sacrifice he brought in any way was insufficient or blemished and the blood he brought impure, if he came into the presence of holiness, with any of those things out of place, the priest would die and the sacrifice would be rejected because sinful man cannot approach holy God except according exactly to the pattern he's been given. There are not many ways to God. There's only one. This had to be repeated year after year after year after year after year because this was not the reality. It was just a copy of the reality. The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer can't cleanse of sin, but the blood of Jesus can. 
and the blood of Jesus has. That's why the writer said in verse 12, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them or set them apart so that they are outwardly clean. In other words, they can participate in the worship, but it doesn't cleanse their sin. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? He went on to say in verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices. You see, Jesus didn't offer his blood at an earthly temple. He entered heaven itself. When he died, he poured his blood out at the altar in heaven, and it was received by God. This is why he didn't bring an animal sacrifice to worship God today. Because Jesus, your perfect sacrifice has already been offered. He is the great high priest who came with blood that was his own, poured out at the real temple on a real altar in the very throne room of God. And now you and I that are covered in that blood, when you became a Christian, you were covered in that blood. And now when you come, you can come in complete confidence because you see your high priest is perfectly dressed and you are clothed in his righteousness. And we don't need a priest on earth anymore because Jesus living in us has made each of us our own priest that we can come to the blood of his sacrifice into his presence at any time and know that we will be accepted. This is why, since we have Jesus as our high priest, we never have to worry about being turned away. And someday, you and I who love and trust Jesus we're going to stand in that heavenly reality. You and I are going to walk with confidence into the throne room of God. And we are going to look and see what John saw, what everybody who's gone before us has seen, what the angels in heaven see every day. You're going to see the lamb seated on his throne high and exalted and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple. He's surrounded by 24 elders who are seated on their thrones, and they take off their crowns and lay them at his feet. Angels are there in his presence leading the worship, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. The Bible tells us in Revelation that all of the earth, all of the creatures of the earth begin to sing his praise. And you and I will be a part of that because we are covered in his blood. 
So whether we physically die and go to be with Jesus or whether we're alive when he comes back in his glorious return, he's coming for us. And he's going to bring us to the completion of the salvation we're all waiting for. That's why the writer said in verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I can hardly wait. You know, when I was growing up in New England, I never got out of New England. We might have gone to New York a couple times, but people think New York is New England. Anyway. So my travel in those days was all through books. And so I looked at pictures of some of the great formations and geologic formations and national parks and all kinds of things all over the country, never even believing that I'd ever get to see them. One of the ones that I was awed about was the Grand Canyon. I couldn't imagine a canyon that wide, that deep, that long actually existed with the kind of color and beauty and majesty that were in these pictures. But I can tell you that of all the pictures I looked at, not, not a single one of them did justice to the reality when I stood on the south rim of that canyon for the first time and gazed in awe at what God had done. A picture is not the same as the reality. We worship Christ on earth And no matter how meaningful and beautiful, it cannot compare to the breathtaking reality that awaits us because of our sacrifice. Elvina Hall was a woman who saw a lot of blood. She lived during the time of the Civil War in the United States. 600,000 Americans died, many more injured or maimed for life. There were fields of blood. It was a bloody war. And she saw much, much of it. And she realized in 1865 that all of that blood was a sacrifice paid for freedom. And it reminded her of another's sacrifice who gave his blood for her freedom. And so she wrote a poem which became a hymn. This is what she wrote. I'm not much of a singer, so if you laugh during this, I'll totally understand. But listen to what she wrote. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I will wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save 
and my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow This is why we can come to worship without a blood sacrifice today, because we already have one. And that's why we can come and never fear being turned away, because the sacrifice was accepted. We have Jesus. He's taken away our sin. This is the sacrifice we're remembering today. This is the sacrifice of the new covenant. This bread is my body, he said. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. So whenever you eat it, remember me. Lord, how do we tell you thanks for this? It's bigger than we know, greater than we could imagine, more complete than we could ever hope. You saved us by your sacrifice, and we're going to have all eternity to worship. Thank you today for the worship we can offer you. We hope that through our lives you have heard the sound of worship and that you hear it every day. And as we eat this bread and drink this cup, please know that we're doing it today because we remember you. And we thank you in your precious name. Amen.